welcome to the Polygamer Podcast, where gaming is for everyone. Join us as we expand the boundaries of the gaming community. Hello and welcome to the Polygamer Podcast, episode number 126 for Wednesday, June 15th, 2022. I'm your host, Ken Gagney. I love video games, I love books, so it makes sense, of course, that I would love the mashup of the two, the visual novel. I haven't played too many games in that genre, but the ones I've played have totally hit it out of the park, most significantly, Arcade Spirits. When this game first came out a few years ago, I saw it getting a lot of hype at PAX, my friends were playing it on Twitch, and I was like, what's the big deal? So when it was included in itch.io bundle a few years ago, I finally picked it up, and wow, I saw what the big deal was. It was this amazing game set in an alternate timeline where the video game crash of 1983 never happened, which I guess means that my Alamogordo ET cartridge doesn't exist either. It was just so much fun. The writing was amazing. That was my favorite part of the game. The, the story, the characters, the dialogue, it was all just so phenomenal. And I had to reach out now that the sequel is out just two or three weeks ago on May 27th, Arcade Spirits. The new Challengers is now available for PC, Mac, and all the consoles. And I was eager to talk to today's guest, Anna Schumann, the game writer and narrative designer for Arcade Spirits. Hello, Anna. Hello, Ken. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much for all those kind words you said about Arcade Spirits. I really appreciate it. Every single word is true. My friends Enfys and Helene and so many others were talking about this game. And not just because your co-author has the same last name as me. (laughs) How interesting is that? Right. You know, like this isn't nepotism. That isn't why I love the game. Mm. But the two of you did such a great job together. And I want to talk to you uh, not only about that game, but also about your diverse career and all the other things you do beside Arcade Spirit. Mm -hmm. But why don't we start at the beginning? Okay. How would you introduce yourself if somebody said, so, Anna, who are you? What do you do? Yeah. So my name is Anna Schumann. My pronouns are they and she. I am a game writer, a narrative designer of Fiction Factory Games, which we made Arcade Spirits and Arcade Spirits, the new challengers. I'm also one of uh, like four people that are part of First Bite Games. And we released a game earlier this year called First Bite. Uh, When I'm not doing that, I'm actually a licensed veterinary technician, and I used to be the manager of both uh, of two hospitals. Uh, And then when I'm not doing that, I'm also a full-time streamer and YouTuber with Stump Games, which I recently just started doing that a couple of months ago. And it's been wild just having like this very fluid life of being able to do my professional veterinary medicine and like my content creation and game development and streaming. And I don't know how to say no, basically is what I'm saying. (laughs) There are several things there that you said you do full time. How many full times can one person fit into one day? Uh, you know, a lot. I think if you (laughs) have ADHD, like I do, (laughs) Um, well, recently, because I switched over full-time with Stump Gaming, I actually went down to part-time at uh, the hospital. So I sort of took a step a step back from veterinary medicine. I'm still doing it part-time. And then uh, game development goes in waves. So like we just released uh, the new Challengers. And yeah, there's some work that still does that, like go like reaching out and like doing podcasts like this and talking to streamers and seeing if they want to stream the game and doing that kind of um, content stuff and like 
doing last minute fixes from watching like streamers find typos or bugs like that. But I'm not like in the middle of game dev right now. So I don't have a lot of game development work going on. I want to ask if a joke you made was actually serious. Does ADHD enable you to do all these things? Uh. Yes and no. I feel like uh, I've been doing a lot of uh, sort of exploration into ADHD. I recently got uh, fully diagnosed with ADHD this year and, and like part of like last year. I don't know. You know how time sort of fluctuates <laughs> within the pandemic. pandemic. Yep. yep. And so I've been sort of exploring that and sort of finding things about myself as to whether like the ADHD has helped or like hinder that or just how I process things, you know, compared to what people that don't have ADHD and how they process those things. So I think it's helped in a way because I'm always having to focus on something, whether that is game development, whether that is like nursing, animal nursing, or, you know, content creation. It's, it's hard to just sit and relax sometimes for me. So I always like to have a lot of things on my plate so that when I'm, like not getting bored or when I'm like too stressed out from game development, then I can jump on over and do content creation. And then I can still keep doing my veterinary medicine job because those each give me a break in between those. So I still feel refreshed, but I'm able to do all these multiple things, if that makes sense at all. No, it does. And in fact, I read once the theory that ADHD is actually founded in evolution, where when we became an agricultural society where we had hunters and gatherers, mm -hmm. then the hunters were the ones with the ADHD who were always paying attention to all the changes in their environment. Whoa, that's really cool. I would love to, to learn more about that and read that. That sounds really <laughs> cool to, to research. Sure. I'll see what I can find and I'll put some links in the show notes at polygamer.net. Cool. So I interviewed a narrative designer on this podcast two years ago, Jordan Jones Brewster of We Should Talk. For those who didn't mm. hear that episode, tell me, you are both a writer and a narrative designer. What's the difference between those two titles? So I feel like this is going to be very, like, depending on who you talk to, because I feel like game writer and narrative designer are very interchangeable within the games industry. Like, some people are just like, I'm a game writer. And that's also called a narrative designer. So I think some of it is just based on what title you prefer. Sort of like in veterinary medicine, I am an animal nurse and I'm a licensed animal nurse. So I call myself an LVT, which stands for licensed veterinary technician. But in other states, they're called CVTs, certified veterinary technicians. Or you have RVTs, which are registered uh, veterinary technicians. Um, or like I call myself a nurse because that's my job and not a technician. So I feel like that same uh, goes for game writing and narrative design. Um, there are also some differences within that as well. Like writing is more like the game writer. I would be like, this is me writing a scene out with all the dialogue and the descriptions and everything like that. And then the design part of that is like, how am I going to implement those sort of uh, questions that I'm asking the player in the game to make choices of? So like, here's the part of the dialogue where it branches out into these different sections and how am I going to loop that back to the main scene that I've created? So I feel like like I said, they're sort of interchangeable. And sometimes narrative design can also be like how we're going to set up the overall outline of the story and how that's going to work within the software that we're using. And which software is that? Uh, we use RenPy. And for those of you that don't know what RenPy is, it's a Python-based. Um, and it's specifically 
made for visual novels. So it's a software you can use and really easily like implement things and make your own visual novels. It's very accessible. So you don't even need to be a programmer per se? You need to know a little bit of programming, but it's very easy to sort of read up on like how to implement stuff. Like I have no programming background at all. Like the most of my programming background is back when GeoCities was a thing and you could change like the font color or add a picture onto your website. And that's about all you need to know to to use RenPy. It's like how to change the font, how to like attach a certain dialogue piece to a character. And the programming and the software is so easy to use that it's it's just really, it's really simple. So sort of like if you want to write a text adventure, you use Twine. If you want mm-hmm. to write a visual novel, you use RenPy. Yeah, yeah. And I've used a Twine with my visual novels as well for like outlining stuff too. So Twine is another good resource for for game making, especially narrative game making. Fantastic. The creator of Twine, Chris Klimas, was on this podcast <gasps> a few years ago. Amazing guy. Cool. Yeah. You've interviewed so many cool people. <laughs> <laughs> and you're one of them. No. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how you resolve the conflict between or the difference between game writer and narrative designer. What about between you and Stefan when you're writing the game? Because you both share equal billing for writing the game. Mm-hmm. How do you collaborate on writing the story for a game who does what yeah so that's that's a great question and it's very interesting because i uh, i feel like every team does it slightly differently but stefan and i basically stefan came up with the original idea for arcade spirit so stefan already sort of knew how he sort of wanted the overall story to go on and both of us came together and we went over that story and we sort of like pitched ideas back and forth of how we thought it was going to go or if there were instances of the story that he hadn't fully worked out yet, we would talk about it or any issues that we might have had while we were going through the actual writing of the game. We're like, well, this doesn't quite work out now that we think about it because we've changed a couple of things. So we would come together and sort of talk about those things and and sort of brainstorm together of how we could resolve that. Uh, And then beyond that, we would also take on different characters. Obviously, like Stefan and I both um, write the player character who you get to choose, you know, your name and your pronouns and stuff like that. But we both had a very similar voice and we were able to sort of both mold both of our voices for that character. And then like in Arcade Spirits, uh, the first one, I wrote specifically Ashley, Teo, and Queen B based on my own experiences in arcade culture. And then Stefan wrote Percy, Gavin, and Naomi. And then we sort of split up like the NPCs. Like so there were some characters that Stefan had a better idea of how he wanted that to go. So he took the charge of that. And then there were other characters that I sort of added into my my sort stories that I sort of took charge of. So in the in the end, it sort of felt pretty equal between our parts of what we would put into the story and the characters. That's so interesting because whatever a particular NPC says or does ties back into the larger story. So you might be writing Queen Bee and Tia, for example, but that isn't happening in a vacuum. It affects the things that Stefan is writing and vice versa as well. Yeah, true. And so the other thing that we did is once like we wrote a scene out or we had like a chapter done, 
like I would go over and read stuff on stuff because obviously all of our ca- characters are interacting with each other. So I would read over stuff on stuff and, you know, he would maybe write a line for Queen B and I would go back and I would like fix it or not fix it, but like be like, this is what I envision Queen B's voice since I'm the main person who's, who's writing Queen B. So I might edit it a little bit um, based on my personal experiences. And he would do the same for my, my chapters or, you know, my characters or the scenes that I was writing just to make sure that we had that same voice for both of those characters. And that was really nice because there were scenes where like I had to write like Ben and Matt who are, uh, a wonderfully, a wonderful gay couple that own uh, the whole story in the first Arcade Spirits, and then Good Clean Fun in Arcade Spirits: The New Challengers. And like, I know those characters are very dear to Stefan's heart because he created them. So I always got nervous when I was like, "Okay, I have to do this scene with Ben and Matt, and I want to make sure that I'm doing them justice." And so it was really nice to have be like, "All right, Stefan, here is the work that I did for this scene for Ben and Matt. Please look it over and make sure that it sounds appropriate for the characters that you created." And then he would go in and make the edits uh, that needed to be or add some things. And so it's just nice to have like a friend and a partner to be able to bounce those ideas off of and make sure that we have the same voice and the same flow throughout the entire game. So you say you want to have the same voice, but is there a distinction between each of your styles of writing? Like, could I look at a character and be able to figure out who wrote that person? I don't know. (laughs) That's a good question. I feel like, I think it depends on how well you know both of us, you know, Hmm. because then you can see, like, I know that my friends, when they're reading my characters, they're like, oh, I know Anna wrote this character because this is very similar to who they are as a person or some of their humor is showing through. But I don't think like from watching like streamers and people play the game that I don't know or that, you know, I have no relation to, I don't, they're always surprised of like, oh, you wrote this character? I didn't know that. So I think we do a good job of sort of mimicking each other's style but each having our own style if that makes sense in in a writing context (laughs) well let me ask you this in the first arcade spirits i was really torn between romancing naomi Mm -hmm. or tio Mm -hmm. two excellent choices i couldn't go wrong yeah and i got the sense that tio might have been a bit more of a hot and steamy romance and naomi was a bit more chaste yes i think i was told later by a friend that Naomi was written by Stefan. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. So based on that experience in Arcade Spirits 2, let me know if this guess is correct. I'm going to say that Grace is somebody that Stefan wrote and you wrote Zapper. You know, that is a good guess. Uh, I did <laughs> not write Zapper. Actually, I'll, I'll do the breakdown right now. So I wrote uh, Rhapsody and I wrote The Rival and I wrote Valkyrie. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. And Stefan wrote the the other five. And that was because at the time, like during the pandemic, I had a lot of stuff that I had to do mainly for like the hospitals that I was running. So I had a little bit less time to dedicate. So Stefan took uh, the other five characters. And so I was able to focus on those four characters. And the rival, in writing the rival was actually because we have an antagonistic rival and we have a friendly rival, even though they're very similar, it was essentially writing two different characters. So the rival was a lot of, a lot of work and, and took up like almost two character slots rather than one. Sure. I can see that. But, Oh, 
I forgot to add, but I did help write some of the romance scenes for Zapper because Stefan was like, I need Zapper to be a little more feisty and a little more spicier. And I was like, oh, I'm on it. Let me go. I got this. So I helped write (laughs) some of the romance aspects of Zapper. Okay. Okay. So that makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. Cool. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So let's take a step back a bit before we get back into more details about Arcade Spirit. You and Stefan met after a panel at PAX around, was it 2013, 2014? I I think it was like 2013. Yeah, I think it was. I don't know. I've been to so many PAXs and they all sort of (laughs) blend together at this point. So that was nine years ago. What was your experience like as a writer and game designer back then that Stefan said, this is somebody I want to work with? Yeah. So at that point, I really hadn't broken into game development. Basically, I always love to tell this, my like story of how I started writing video games is uh, once I started, I first I started writing fan fiction because fan fiction is great and I love it. And then uh, a whole bunch of friends and I got together and were like, we want to go to PAX for free. And the way to do that, uh, to get free tickets to PAX, is to have a media website, which in reality, like, yes, it's a cool like thing to be like, yes, I'm going to get free tickets to PAX by getting a media badge. But it also requires a lot of work because you have to build a website, you have to write reviews, you have to write editorials, and you have to put all this like work into it. And we did. And so I did a lot of editorials. I did a lot of reviews uh, for our website, uh, Press to Reset. And through that, I met a whole bunch of cool people. And then because I love romance and games. I was uh, asked to be on a panel with a couple of other people. Mylan, um, she had written a vampire game at the time, which was really cool. So we got to talk about that. And so I just started doing panels about romance in video games because it was such a passionate topic of mine. And then after one of those panels, Stefan actually came up and like met us and and knew some of the other p- panelists at the time. And so we became friends like you do at conventions and um, we basically followed each other on Twitter and we would interact and he would watch my stream sometimes um, and I would watch his stream sometimes. And then one day, I, w- I don't even remember what game I was streaming, but Stefan was just like in my chat and he's like, so I have an idea for a game and it's about dating and arcades and arcade culture. And I was like, two flower, sign me the fuck up. I am so there. That sounds like all of my favorite things. And then we just started working on the game, basically. I love it. So thanks to PAX and Twitter and Twitch, a union was formed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And how much did that require you going outside your comfort zone? I, w- I would say in learning to write in the programming, that was a huge step in learning how to just, uh, let me think, let me think for a second, like how to actually design a game was sort of like, I wouldn't say outside of my comfort zone, but it was something I didn't have a lot of experience in. So I was very excited to learn about that before I had been working on um, another game, which I I won't say here because um, it wasn't a good time. So I had some experience with actual like dialogue writing for games at the time, but I hadn't been like in depth with the design, which is something I was craving. So it was very exciting to me to be able to finally do this. But for comfort, like, I was just, I was thrilled. I was thrilled to be a part of it and get that experience. 
Well, some people are most comfortable living their life at the edge because that's when it's exciting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Definitely. You said you've been craving that experience. So was writing a game one of your dreams, one of your goals? Yeah. And I feel like it was a dream that I realized later in life. Um, and that and that reason is like when I was back writing fan fiction, like when I was 15 and a teenager, I loved playing games like JRPGs were my thing back in high school, like Final Fantasy VII. I always have to give a shout out to Final Fantasy VII because that was the first game that I played that like had a complete narrative story that I was completely sucked into. So I was just like, these games are amazing. I would love to make a game like this, but I really didn't have that cognizant like moment where I was like, I want to write games. Even though I was writing fan fiction and I love playing games, it wasn't until I was an adult that I was like, oh, hey, like I could do this. You know, like this is a real thing and a real dream that I could actually obtain. And I just always think that's quite interesting because I was on a path for veterinary medicine, which I still am doing, but for college and school, like that was like my profession. And I didn't even think that game development could be a profession that I could be in until like I started writing for Press to Reset. And then I was like meeting other game developers and other game writers. And I was like, I write, I love games. I want to make a game. So let's do this. Would you say that working with games full-time, well, I, as we said, you do many things full-time, but mm -hmm. would you prefer to do that more and veterinary medicine less? No, I like them both equally. I think it goes um, in phases as well. And like I was talking about like ADHD earlier of how like if I'm burnt out on one thing, I can switch my passion to another thing. I'll give you a little, a little uh, behind the scenes veterinary world. So when the pandemic hit in veterinary medicine, uh, a trifecta of things happened. Um, in veterinary medicine, you probably saw like a whole bunch of posts of like people adopting animals because people were spending a lot more time at home. And they're like, I have enough time to bring on a new animal in my life. So adoptions went up, which is great. We love that. Um, at the same time, because we were in a pandemic and people were getting sick and businesses had to close because of this, hospitals, veterinary hospitals, there were a few in the area that I work where they actually closed. So in the hospitals that I worked in, there were like three that closed in the very close vicinity. So then we had to take on all the overflow of those hospitals. But at the same time, like people had to leave veterinary medicine because either they're sick or like pandemic wise, they just couldn't continue working. So we had a decrease in actual like doctors and nurses and assistance in veterinary medicine, which has still created this sort of bottleneck in veterinary medicine. So the past two years in veterinary medicine have been exceedingly stressful for everybody in the profession. We're all trying our best to do what we can, but there's literally not enough hands. There's not enough people in veterinary medicine to take care of all the animals right now. So I became extremely sort of burnt out in veterinary medicine, just trying to like do my best and survive in an ever-changing field and, and world with the pandemic in veterinary medicine. So with that, like going down to part-time now has been good because then I can switch over to like doing um, game development full time. And that's been nice to do that as well. Did that make sense? I'm sorry. Did that make sense? No, it did. It sounds like there may even be a day in the future when hopefully the consequences of the pandemic are less than they are mm -hmm. now. And you may be doing 
more stuff in the veterinary world than you are now. And it may oscillate between the two. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, exactly that. And, you know, I think it's, it's always just been, I've always had those two passions and I don't ever want to leave both fields. Like I love them both equally and I want to find the balance, whether it is, you know, working full-time in veterinary medicine and then game development part-time or vice versa, how I am now. I just, I want to do both for the rest of my life and I will continue to do that because I love it. And yet you didn't write a game about animals. <laughs> I feel like if I did, it would be boring, honestly. <laughs> I try so, so hard not to be that person that's like, in like playing a game that has like veterinary medicine in it. And like, that's not how it actually works. I feel like if I did that, it would be one sad too boring and there would be a whole bunch of medical jargon in there that people would be like i don't understand what any of this is i would get too technical with it it can be hard to separate the fiction from the reality when you are so immersed in the reality totally exactly so you decided to instead help write a game about romance in arcades it came out two or three years ago and achieved what I considered quite a bit of success. Not every visual novel gets picked up by a distributor, gets a physical release distributed on Mac PC and all the consoles Mm -hmm. and certainly a cult following, at least among the people I speak to. So in your terms, I know it's a little hard to be not biased about this, but why do you think arcade spirits achieved that level of success? With the, with being a little bit biased, uh, I think we worked really hard at it, like really hard. And I love visual novels and Stefan loves visual novels. So we were very familiar with visual novels themselves. And I think that really also helped because we knew sort of what the visual novel community is looking for and what we wanted in visual novels. And I feel like visual novels are still um, a genre of games that not a lot of people know a lot about. And so what we wanted to do is sort of create a game that would bring visual novels more to the forefront of people that hadn't played it before. So we were also hoping to get like the retro crowd on board too, or people that really liked arcades and speak to like gaming culture just in general, which obviously like we're all gamers. So we all understand that aspect as well. Um, And it's, It is very interesting because when we first started Arcade Spirits, we were like, you know, we're going to do this for fun. And if it's successful, that's great. Like, I didn't even know about what success looked like in the indie game world until I was basically we were done with Arcade Spirits and it was successful. I didn't realize what success meant, like having a game that broke even in terms of what you've spended and having a profit and stuff like that. And that's like the business aspect to it. But having like seeing people like have fans of a game is still this weird foreign concept that I don't fully grasp like on a certain level because I'm like, yeah, well we made a fun game and I'm glad that people like it. And that's, and that's really cool. And, and people wrote fan fiction. So to me, that's like the success, right? If a person is writing fan fiction about your games, like that's, that's a great success for me. And yeah, I think we put a lot in hard work of doing the research in terms of like, what we wanted to see from visual novels and what we already knew from visual novels. I think that helped. And who would you say your audience was? Because you said you know what people who play visual novels want, but then there's people like me who 
I think this is one of maybe three visual novels I've played. So mm-hmm. you pulled me out of my usual track and got me to play this game, and I love it. Oh, yeah. And I think like I, I touched a little bit about that, how like we wanted to make a game that would bring visual novels to the forefront or at least have people that haven't played visual novels play it. I think also our experience like Bioware games were a huge influence because those are games that narratively you make choices. And so that was also part of the people that we were hoping to reach is people that like narrative games and like to make their own story along with that. And so that was really helpful looking at those games, uh, being able to translate the Bioware experience into a visual novel format. So just take away like, in terms of like Mass Effect, like take away the shooting part of it and focus on the actual story and the decisions and how that changes throughout the game. I love it. And so that game came out several years ago and you almost immediately announced the sequel, which at the time of this recording came out less than two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. What were your goals with the sequel other than to tell a different story? Yeah, I think our goals were also to sort of push people's boundaries in terms of how we talk about negative experiences within gaming culture. The first Arcade Spirits game is very much like a love letter to arcade culture and a love letter to gaming communities. And I won't say like we didn't like play it safe in terms of the things that we talked about, but we wanted to focus more on the happy feelings of of games. And this one, we had enough sort of success from the first one that we could really like push what we wanted to talk about and explore in narrative games and explore within gaming culture. And some of those things included negative things of like, you know, racism and ableism within the gaming culture itself. And so those were sort of topics that we wanted to explore and sort of teach people about and what people go through within, within gaming communities and especially like the fighting game communities and competitive gaming, especially. And so that's sort of like what we wanted to focus more on. And I got to write a little more spicy romance than what was in the first one as well, which uh, I was looking forward to. (laughs) However, I do appreciate that romance isn't a required feature of the game. You can opt out of it entirely. Totally. And for me, you know, I'm non-binary. My pronouns are they and she. Um, I'm also pansexual. So, and uh, Stefan is part of the LGBT community as well. So it was important to be able to have aspects for queer gamers um, to see themselves represented in games as well, which we're still working to strive within the community of gaming, you know? And so it was very important to have a romance game that had an option for ace and arrow people or people that just wanted to enjoy the story if they didn't feel connected to any of the people that we created. Yeah, and it's just accepted as part of the game's narrative it's not made a big deal very often like certainly when the main character meets jinx there is an exchange there but also rhapsody i was playing the game for hours before i realized that they were Mm, mm non-binary yeah and in the in the first i'm going to talk a little bit of spoilers for arcade spirits one so if you don't want to be spoiled skip ahead about a minute so ashley in arcade spirits one she was one of the characters that I wrote. Her story is about sort of figuring out who she is gender-wise or who they are gender-wise. And she goes through sort of development of what that means and how she never felt like she was, you know, 100% a woman and what that 
what the, how that defines her. And so that's sort of her story as you play through Arcade Spirits and sort of you figure out if you like romance Ashley, you get to the end and and they're very comfortable being a non-binary person. So because I explored that in the first one, I definitely wanted to have an actual non-binary person just be as one of the romanceable characters in the second one. I totally missed that thread in the original Arcade Spirits. At the end of the game, as you know, the two characters that you interacted with the least, mm-hmm. they just sort of wander off and do their own thing. Yeah. And for me, that was Ashley and Queen Bee. So I never knew that about Ashley. Oh. Well, now you do. <laughs> Yay. Well, thank you for the spoiler. Of course. <laughs> now I don't need to go back and replay it. I can just play the sequel. Exactly. From a technical perspective, a lot of sequels have better graphics, more levels. Mm-hmm. In this sequel, you were able to add the Fist of Discomfort 2 minigame. How does that tie into the narrative and all the different branches you had to take into account? Essentially, because the first Arcade Spirits was more about working in arcade, we really wanted to capture sort of competitive gaming and esports for the second one. And so it naturally makes sense that the Fist of Discomfort game that we had from the first one, where Queen Bee was this pro esports player, would be the game that your character gets to play a part in the second game because it's an esports game. So then we created a mini game that we could put into a visual novel and not have it be like a very like gameplay intense uh, you know, game. So it's basically like rock, paper, scissors, but we were able to put that and make it work with the narrative because you're building a competitive team to to go be pros and to essentially win Evo, you know? <laughs> I found it really interesting that the game lets you choose not only whether or not you want to play the game, but whether or not you want to win the game. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I... I I'm inclined to just choose every single time. Oh yeah, we win. We're awesome. We never have to deal with defeat and loss in our lives. This Mm -hmm. is perfect. And yet I assume that there may be, I haven't finished the game yet, narrative advantages to losing at times. Definitely. And this was one of the like narrative choices that Stefan and I sort of toyed with and sort of brainstormed with very early on when we were um, starting development for the new challengers and originally i think we had talked about having players just play the game and if they lose you know they'd have to go and replay it and for me like i i love visual novels and i feel like adding a mini game can be a hit or a miss depending on who's playing the game or like what kind of story you're telling so i was like well i don't want people to have to like go back and replay it because that's going to break the narrative and they're they're also going to feel bad about it. And I was like, well, what if we have a different story or something different happens if they lose? And that way, you know, there's no punishment if you don't win the mini game, right? You still get to experience the story and just a different aspect of the story. Um, and so we toyed around with that idea. And then on top of that, we also talked about like, like once again, like some people don't like mini games in their visual novels, but some people really enjoy it because it breaks up sort of the monotony of, you know, what visual novels are, which is a lot of reading and a lot of just making choices. So it's more engaging to some people. And I was like, well, how do we essentially provide options for both of those players? Because I don't want mini games in my visual novels most of the time. And Stefan was like, well, I want mini games in my visual novels. So we're like, well, let's just have both. Like the player can choose if they want to play the mini game or not. 
And then they can choose whether they want to win or lose. And so that was a really fun part of sort of development is having all of those options and having the player be able to have the experience that they want within a mini game within esports competition. That sounds like a wonderful compromise where Stefan wanted one thing, you want the other, and you both got your way. Yeah, totally. Are there other mechanical or technical changes to the sequel that affected the story? Hmm. I don't think so. I think the addition of the mini game. Oh, you know what? I'm lying. I totally forgot about the other thing that we had a lot of fun making, which was the character creator. Actually, like how we designed how Arcade Spirits, the new challengers looks when you're playing the game is based off of having a more expanded character creator. If you've played the first one, you don't really see your player character on screen a lot. And we wanted to have that happen for the second one. We wanted there to be a better connection between you and your avatar or the the person that you've created within the game. We wanted that connection to be stronger. And one way to do that is to have that player be on screen a lot of the time and having them emote and having them have reactions as do the, all the rest of the characters because all the other characters can be happy, they can be sad, you know, they can be angry, they can be crying, they can be laughing. And we wanted that same... Uh, diversity of emotions and uh, feelings to be felt by the player and the player character that they create. So we switched everything up. Um, there's not a lot of like CGs where you see your your character that you create, but they're on screen so much more and you get to have that. And that directly went into the character creator and why we wanted to have a lot more options for the character creator and how just everything was set up sort of UI wise. It's so interesting. You mentioned the opportunity for the main character to emote more because when I was in the character creator, they had a neutral look on their face. And I thought to myself, is this what I'm going to be looking at for the next <laughs> several hours? Right? Like that doesn't, it, it didn't seem very appealing to me, but I chose the character and then they went into the game and they got angry. They got smiling. They were confused. And I was like, Oh, okay. They're a real person. That's great. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was a, like, I think at the end, I think Stefan was saying that, like, there's 400 different, like, pieces of art that go into the player character. So, like, there's, like, different body types. Uh, you can have different hats. You can have slightly different uh, clothes. You know, there's a whole bunch of different colors you can choose from. So, there are 400 separate art pieces that all come together to make the player character have that emotion and be able to be on screen all that time, which is, I think, amazing. Like, I, I'm impressed uh, with Stefan's programming and making that all work together and function. And one thing that impressed me, I don't think this was in the original Arcade Spirits, was the option between chapters of the sequel to change any of your metadata. Yeah, that is correct. That was another thing that Stefan and I definitely wanted to to be able to do because, you know, like in life... You know, it's so cool to be able to like change your hairstyle on a whim or, you know, show progress if like you have goals of getting gains that like, hey, look, I got buff between chapters three and four. Or, you know, people change their pronouns all the time because they're exploring that side of their life and and maybe that, you know, maybe she her worked for the player character for like the first part of chapters one and two, and then that player character has actually decided, well, nope, 
I go by it, it's now. So we wanted to have that flexibility, especially because that's what we are as humans. We constantly change as well. And so we wanted that to be reflected in the in the player character. I remember playing the first game. I was constantly thinking to myself throughout the game, dang, I chose the wrong gender. <laughs> there was no opportunity to change that. Yeah, yeah. And that was, um, those were things that like, while we were creating the first one, it was our first game too. And so we didn't have, not that we didn't want to take risks. There were just certain, certain things we didn't know how to do. And by learning, by making the first game, we were able to implement those things in the second game, which was really, really awesome that we could do that. So the protagonist can look like anyone and with all the different characteristics and lines of dialogue, they can behave and have almost any personality. Mm -hmm. Are there any general descriptors that you can use to describe the character? Like if somebody asks you, who's the main character of this game? What are they like? Other than saying the manager of an esports team, what can you say? I can say that the player character has strong feelings about wanting to win and is exploring those feelings throughout the game, essentially. And what what does winning mean? And how would you describe the protagonist of the first game? Uh, I would describe the protagonist of the first game as being someone who is looking for a change in life and has had a very steady life, but not necessarily obtained all the happiness that they want with that life. So they are looking for a change and a dream to fulfill. Because as I'm playing the second game, I find myself making the same category of responses that mm. I would have in the first one. Interesting. Is it? It is. I So for me, uh, when I played through the first one, we call it the kindly meta because in general, most people are going to choose kind responses because no one wants to be an asshole, frankly, or they don't want to like test the waters of like how people are going to react to sort of brashness or different types of reactions or different types of dialogue. For me, like when I was playing through Arcade Spirits, uh, the first one and sort of going through that story, I found that my responses were more friendly or kindly and then quirky because that's who I am as a person. But through playing the new challengers, because it's based on esports. And because I have experience playing competitive games in the past, I was more drawn towards choosing the gutsy responses and the logical responses um, because that's how I respond and, and that's how who I am within like competitive gaming. So it, I'm very curious about that from a game design point of like, what did people do and like, did their choices change from what they chose from Arcade Spirits? to Arcade Spirits and New Challengers based off the storyline. So that's very interesting to me because my response has totally changed. Interesting. Maybe it's because I don't have esports experience. Mm. I don't know. But I also liked in the sequel that you can obscure what category each response falls into. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think um, that and that was something that we did in the first game as well, because I feel like even like, let's take Bioware, for example, like renegade or like paragon right like you know what's gonna happen you're like if i make the renegade choice i know i'm gonna be potentially a jerk and someone might die and then it, with the paragon you're like okay so this is gonna be like the really hopeful of lifting speech we're gonna say here and i feel like that can also like you have a conscious response to that and you also have a subconscious response of like knowing how that's gonna go 
how you're going to choose, right? So if you take that away, it puts less pressure on like, oh, am I going to say something that's kind or am I going to say something that's funny or am I going to say something that's like rude or snarky? And then they just go with like what they would say is the goal of that, right? Like for people to respond how they would feel not sort of metagaming it. Yeah, because I I can't consciously choose. I'm sorry, what's the name of the emotion with the scales? Judgmental or? Oh, logically. Logically, right. Same thing. Or steady. We call it steady, but it's like the logical response. Yeah. Yeah. I find myself choosing the logical response more often than not. Sometimes I get the little smiley face Mm -hmm. emoji, Mm -hmm. uh, but it tends to vacillate between those two with a preponderance of the logical choices. So I guess I've always found in games that I have a hard time role playing, which Mm. when I put it that way, sounds terrible, but like I make the choice that I would make. And if I go back and I replay Firewatch or The Walking Dead and I'm given a different option, on one hand, I want to see the full breadth of the game and do something different. But on the other hand, I just can't bring myself to, for example, be a jerk knowingly. No, totally. I... (laughs) I I am the same way. I will play a Bioware game and I will romance the same character over and over again, even though I'm like, oh, but I really want to see this other romance or how this story plays out the other way. I am, I'm 100% I'm going to make the same choice every time. <laughs> Unless it's about esports, in which case your snarky side comes out. Exactly, exactly. We talked about the different ways that the protagonist manifests themselves visually and personally. The antagonist, though, mm-hmm. I find when playing this game, more so than the original, but a little bit in both, that the antagonist that I'm encountering, I'm not talking about the rival, but more so the team that the rival belongs to. Mm-hmm. They are the kinds of people that I block on Twitter. Especially when you're talking about the different kinds of isms that are a little bit more contentious, especially in the esports world. Are these encounters with these antagonists based on actual people or experiences? Yeah, definitely. I don't think um, there's like specific examples that Stefan and I sort of channeled, you know, like this is based off of this scene that happened to me, but definitely based off real experiences because it happens. Like me being a femme presenting person, in gaming and someone that has a very like femme voice, like I still refuse to go into voice chat if I'm playing Overwatch. Like that I will never go into voice chat. No, thank you, because of all the amount of like sexist shitty things that people say. Like, even if it's even if the team has been super friendly, that's that's like a boundary I'm not gonna cross because it's happened to me so much in the past of of these sort of like sexist comments that you get just being in competitive gaming. So yeah, those things happen all the time. And we wanted to, like I said, we wanted to sort of show those experiences and, and people that maybe have the privilege that they don't have to have those experiences or, or, or haven't been a part of those, let them know that that does still happen. And it's very real. And those are things that we need to bring attention to so that we can counter it and, and call it out when it happens in real life and around our, around each other you know and is it a coincidence that the antagonists seem to be less diverse than the main cast yeah a little bit i feel like you know in making the characters i think we also had uh we wanted to show a variety and even within 
you know, the antagonist themselves. Like Divine is Latinx and Coda is, of, I think, Pacific Asian uh, heritage as well. So we wanted to show like that diversity, you know, you can't have bad people from everywhere, but we also didn't want to fall into, you know, specific tropes of making certain types of people bad guys, right? We wanted to to have diversity, but also avoid those stereotypes in media. Got it. I have, as I, as I've mentioned, I haven't finished the game yet. I've only had one encounter with that team mm-hmm. so far. So there may be aspects of them I have not yet realized. Yeah. I have a question about the world in which these two games take place. Well, first of all, I want to say I bought the first game on itch.io. I bought the second game on Steam, and I was concerned that it wouldn't recognize or be able to locate my save data to import, and mm. I'm so glad it did. So Great. thank you for that. Of course. Thank, thanks. I'll, I'll pass this on to Stefan because he did all the programming to make that happen, and I'm super impressed with it. Yeah, it doesn't feel like, I mean, other than, of course, Bioware games and the like, it doesn't feel like a lot of games do that nowadays. I remember back on, like, in the 1980s on Apple II RPGs, and you're playing games like Wizardry and Ultima and Bard's Tale, and it would carry your data over. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I don't see that very much. So when I heard that the Arcade Spirits games were going to do that, I was like, ah, that is so old school, which is exactly what Arcade Spirits is about. So thank you. Oh, of course. You're so welcome. One thing, though, is Arcade Spirits is set in a fictional future. It diverges around 1983 with Mm -hmm. the video game crash that we experience in our lifetime. Now, there are still some similarities, like despite this very important divergence in the timeline, games like Smash Brothers still exist, Mm -hmm. for example. But I have to imagine that other technologies may have evolved differently in this world of Arcade Spirits. I understand you're a big FMV van, uh, especially <laughs> yes. Phantasmagoria. Yes, so much. So what is the state of FMV in the world of Arcade Spirits? Oh my gosh, they they flourish. It's canon. <laughs> FMVs are amazing. And oh, now, now I just, well, I mean, oh gosh, what was that? Oh, hold on. Now I have to look it up. What was that arcade game with the shooting? Mad Dog McCree. Mad Dog. There was like nine Mad Dog McCrees. Never, never stopped. Oh, wow. That is quite the franchise. Yeah. Uh, FMV arcade games uh, are great, and uh, they are a popular part of of the world of arcade spirits. Full motion video games like Night Trap and Sewer Shark, these are the kinds of games that Zapper is playing when she goes home at night. I I would say, yeah. I mean, who is it? (laughs) Everybody is playing FMVs. And Arcade Spirits 3 is finally going to show us, like, instead of just drawing these characters, you're going to record them. You're going to film them and put them in the game. I wish that would be now. Now I have ideas to do it. Um, (laughs) We've actually talked about for right now, like game three uh, that we're working on is not going to be Arcade Spirits related. Uh, We want to take a break from Arcade Spirits. We're not saying that maybe sometime in the future we might we might not like come back to it, but we've told basically a lot of the stories that we wanted to tell within arcade culture for this particular moment of our lives. And Stefan is definitely working on like what uh, it's the prequel. So it's like, like the novel of what actually happened before arcade spirits. So there's some more lore coming for arcade spirits fans, but for future games, uh, I know that we want to try out, new genres and new characters and tell new stories. Cause like I said, we've told 
almost all the stories that we wanted to tell within arcade culture within the two games. Awesome. And that will be the next game from Fiction Factory Games? Yep. Awesome. So speaking of leaving some of Arcade Spirits behind us, I want to talk about other things that you have done besides Arcade Spirits. We've talked about some of it, like some of the games you've worked on and your literary tech. You also mentioned the Press to Reset website, Mm -hmm. and you also did a podcast for them, Reset Transmission, right? I did. I We did that every week for a long time, and then I was also on another podcast with another media website called Bitch Team Alpha, so I have... I've done plenty of podcasts in my time. And the the website's Press to Reset. That website is still up. Is it still the entity that you built? I think I, I think it is. I feel like obviously I don't submit any more material to there, but occasionally I'll go back and I still talk to my friends who who run it. So yeah, it's still it's still doing its thing and and still having some articles and, and some podcasts going. So it's really amazing that it's it's been kept up for so long. The website has evolved over the years. It looks like the podcast Reset Transmission may no longer be hosted there. And one of the things I'm really passionate about is digital history and archiving. Mm-hmm. So for example, every episode of Polygamer also gets uploaded to the Internet Archive at archive.org. Oh, cool. So that if my website goes down or if I win the lottery and walk off, then there's a copy of it somewhere. So you did over or at least 200 episodes of Reset Transmission. I was wondering, like, if I want to go back and hear early prehistoric Enna, where do I find that? Well, as soon as I find out where the the Press to Reset uh, episodes went, I will tell you. Okay. Like, do you have your own archive in your some external hard drive? I don't know. Not not yeah. of those times. I that was so long <laughs> ago that I'm like, if I went back and listened to it, I'd be like, oh my god, I'm so embarrassed. Why did I say that? <laughs> you know. Oh, I never listened to my old podcasts. Uh, I just leave them up. But I know that the chance. So I also um, this is not quite as far back. This is more recent than the podcast, but um, I started our first Twitch channel for Press Teresa as well. And I do believe that's still up. And I have a lot of me playing games on that Twitch channel. So let me, now I'm like actively like on. It says recent highlights and uploads are from three years ago. Yeah. But I also saved all those videos. So if we go into probably highlights, you can scroll all the way back. Oh, yeah. I've seen videos from nine years ago. That's me. If you see any Oregon Trail, that's definitely me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oregon Trail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Oh, there's Phantasmagoria. There you go. Oregon Trail, for those who are wondering, is spelled O-R-G-A-N. It is a zombie-themed take on Oregon Trail. Mm-hmm. I had the creator on my other podcast, Indiesider, years ago when they were developing their next game. And Oregon Trail was... That was quite the experience. As somebody who grew up on the Apple II playing the original. Yeah. Yeah, same. I was... A, as a, I'm like a huge fan of uh, the OG... Oregon Trail because I grew up with that and I lived in Oregon City when I was a kid so it's the end of the Oregon Trail so I was all about bonnets um, and then when the zombie one came out I'm also obsessed with like just the zombie genre because it's really fascinating and fun to me um, and yeah I just have a good time with zombies so like when that game came out 
I was all about that Oregon Trail as well with the zombies. So it was it was fun. It it gave me enough nostalgia, but enough like humor and cadence to it that I had a really good time with it. So where you grew up was the original game just called Trail. <laughs> Nope, it was still Oregon Trail. Okay, just making sure. <laughs> it's like, it's the trail that's here, you know, just down the street. <laughs> right. I think I saw the museum that is for the Oregon Trail in southern Portland area. It was closed the day I was there. It was raining. It was also also a pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Did you see the giant Conestoga wagons? If they were outside, then I sure did. Yep. That's, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> that is one of my favorite museums. I need to go back when they're open. Yeah, it's very interesting. You get to you get to learn all about how the pioneers uh, burnt uh, dried cow poop for fires and what they did to survive and all the bad decisions that they made <laughs> along the TMI, way. Anna. TMI. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I've been through that museum a lot of times. So let me ask you, you did 200 episodes at least of Reset Transmission, regardless of where they are now. How did you decide when it was time for you to stop participating in that? What was the precipitating factor, if any? Let's see if I can remember my timeline correctly. I think it was just that I had started working officially on game development, and that sort of was taking more precedent. And I just had an honest like conversation. And, you know, as as we did this and as we were getting older and sort of our lives were going in different directions, like two of us uh, who did the the podcast had gotten jobs or were working on in the video game industry. Uh, so our time to devote to, to weekly podcasts just sort of slowly, it was harder and harder to do. And so with most projects like that, you know, if anyone's played a and d campaign with five adults, they know exactly what I'm talking about. It just became harder and harder to schedule those things and, and commit time. And we all were like, you know what? We did a lot of good things together and, and it's okay if something has to end. You know, we're all doing amazing things and this was part of our journey to get to where we are now. And, and we can look back at these memories fondly and be okay that, you know, we're still not doing it because sometimes you have to stop projects to work on on new things. That's right. Very often people view the order of events as a beginning, middle, and end. But the reality is there's an end, there's a transition, and then there's a beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you can't have a beginning unless something else ends first. Totally. Well, I hope you enjoyed your time on Reset Transmission. It sounds like you had a very productive experience and you were simultaneously streaming on Twitch. So it's not like you did audio podcasting first and then you made the leap in front of the camera. It sounds like you were doing both simultaneously. Well, Twitch wasn't even around when we started Reset Transmission. So it actually, like, I remember back then it was like, I think it was Justin TV, if anyone remembers that. And then I remember when Twitch was like, hey, we're a new streaming service specifically for video games. And that's when I actually signed up with uh, Press to Reset to have our own streaming channel. Um, and that's how actually, so podcast did get me into streaming video games uh, on Twitch. Oh, that's very cool. And now you do streaming for a lot of other groups of Rainbow Arcade. And you mentioned Stumped earlier. Mm-hmm. How did you get connected with those groups? 
Yeah. So Rainbow Arcade is a Twitch community that focuses on uh, LGBTQIA um, individuals that helps uplift, you know, other members in the community and really is sort of a beacon of like how how we can do a lot of charity work for marginalized people within Twitch and within the gaming community. And that was just a simple like application that I put in and it got reviewed and I got asked to join the team. And then so for Stump Gaming, they are a full-time, they have a YouTube channel and a Twitch channel and they they play multiplayer games cooperatively. And I met the members of Stumped because they are local here to the Portland, Oregon area. And I met them through a mutual friend uh, when I was uh, basically doing the podcast for Bitch Team Alpha. I met Price of Stump Gaming when we were all sort of hanging out together. And then because we all sort of live in the same area, uh, we met at a con that happened here in Portland called BetaCon. It was like the first gaming convention in Portland, Oregon. Never, it had one year and that was it. It never happened again. But I was able to sort of hang out with the other members of Stump Gaming for a little bit longer than just sort of like the casual, like, oh, hey, we're having a 10-minute conversation at PAX because we all sort of know each other. Um, And so I got to hang out with uh, Ash and Jazz of Stump Gaming there a lot. And then I discovered that they actually lived like three blocks away from me. So we started hanging out and Ash and Jazz are some of the closest friends I've ever had and they're fantastic people. And I also met Rick along with that, who is the fourth member of Stump Gaming. And so I just became friends with them because they're amazing people and we hung out and we all played games together. And eventually I did like some guest spots on, on their channel when they needed like a fifth person or if somebody was sick or, or on vacation, I would come and play games with them and help them record or like for their big charity event that they do every uh, Christmas, it's called the 12 days of stump miss. I would help with that and just be around and be available to help with whatever they needed help with. And then recently Rick, uh, he just had his second daughter. And so with, you know, family stuff, he was like, Hey, I need to take a step back from, from doing on-person gaming um, with everybody. So he decided to sort of be more behind the scenes and do more of the editing and be less uh, upfront camera person so that he could spend more time with his family, which totally makes sense. And since that was happening, they invited me to be the official fifth member of Stump Gaming. And and I said, of course, I would love to do that. And so that's now where I, I do my other full-time job of playing video games with my friends and recording content and turning that into fun YouTube videos. Because if there's something you enjoy, you can also monetize it to the <laughs> point that you no longer enjoy it. Exactly. Now, you said that this group has both a YouTube channel and a Twitch stream. Mm-hmm. How do you decide which content goes on which outlet? Most everything that we stream gets turned into YouTube content just because you can take that information that we've recorded and then edit it and then put it on YouTube. And it's very interesting sort of the differences in terms of YouTube and Twitch and community growing, especially because I've had experience with growing a community because I've done streaming for so long and in building a community through game development for our games. It's just been interesting to see how it's different in building a community on YouTube versus building a community on 
Twitch, whereas like Twitch, you're actively building a community because you're streaming and you're having active conversations. Whereas YouTube, you're sort of like, well, I hope the algorithm picks it up and a whole bunch of people see it. And then they decide to stick around and hopefully leave nice comments instead of horrible comments on our content. And as you and I were talking off air, mm-hmm. YouTube, you really need to focus on a particular kind of content. Yeah. You can't do a bait and switch, whether it's intentional or not. Totally. And in that regard, too, like uh, a lot of the stuff that we stream is obviously like multiplayer stuff. And all the multiplayer stuff goes up on the main stump channel. But then each of us have our own individual YouTube channel as on top of that. So we all have different days where we like will have a solo stream because like we all have lives and we can't all just play video games all the time together for five days in a row. So like right now my day to stream on the channel is Thursday. Uh, So I'll play what I want to play on Thursdays and then I can take that and put it up on my personal YouTube channel, which hopefully my YouTube people that follow me like the content that I've, I've made. And so I can sort of curate that on my YouTube channel um, for that sort of content based off what I've been playing on my on my Twitch streams, on my solo Twitch streams. So if there is somebody who wants to be sure to not miss any content made by anybody on the Stumps team, they basically need to su- subscribe to six YouTube channels? Yeah. In a way, that's brilliant because it allows them to cherry pick exactly what kind of content they want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like within the core group of us, like we all play different games too. And like for me, like I love horror games, so I always play horror games on my on my days. Or I love competitive games, hence you know arcade spirits, new challengers. So I'll play competitive games, or I'll play narrative games because I love those games as well. And then uh, Rick, who still has one streaming day, he plays a lot of simulation games as uh, as his thing. So there's like sim games, and and Price plays a lot of sim games, and. Uh, so you have like a variety of each of the games that we all like within the channels themselves. What are some of your favorite narrative games that you've streamed? Oh, geez. Uh, recently, Elden Ring. I am obsessed mm-hmm. with Elden Ring. Oh, my God. I've played almost 200 hours and I'm still not stopping anytime soon. It's funny. That wouldn't occur to me as like when I think of narrative games, I think of like Life is Strange or Firewatch. Yeah, which I also <laughs> streamed those. But the... The thing about Elden Ring that has captivated me so much as a narrative game is with any like Souls game that has come out, there's always like this deep lore, which I'm like, it's like a puzzle game. It's almost like a horror game because in horror games, like you're given, here's the story, right? And there's a very like, here's the story. If you just go from point A to point B, you know the story. But then if you start exploring around the environment you find like a newspaper article that gives you like plot and lore as to like the main character or the main villain in a horror game or like something that happened 10 years ago that's now relevant or related to the current plot that's going on and so in that regard horror games really try to reward players for exploration and finding out the entire narrative. And that's what Elden Ring has done, but on a much more accessible level than the other Dark Souls games. So like for me, I have a lore journal that I have that I'm writing notes in constantly whenever I'm playing Elden Ring. So I'm trying to sort of find the puzzle of the narrative game itself while I'm playing. And it's 
it's been fun. It's been great. Cause I give you little tidbits and you're like, okay, well, how does that, how does this ring relate to the demigod that I just defeated that relates to what these characters are experiencing? So it's a, it's a narrative puzzle game. It's impressive that they're able to accomplish so much successful narrative and storytelling and world building in an open world game because games like Firewatch, Life is Strange, mm-hmm. a lot of visual novels, they're they're very linear. You don't have a lot of side branches you can go off and explore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's really impressive and it's why I think I'm 200 hours in and still obsessed with the game. In terms of like other narrative games, I tend to stream and love playing just other games visual novels made by queer developers that are telling queer stories and have romance in them. Those are those are my feel-good go-to games. Do you stream Arcade Spirits? I have streamed some Arcade Spirits, but it always gets like sort of weird. I don't know what it is about like streaming your own game. You're like, uh, I already know what's going to happen, so I don't I feel like I'm not entertaining enough when I'm streaming my own game because I'm like, well, there's no like speculation, like the reactions for me aren't like pure because I already know everything involved, but I have done it and done like sort of like a developer breakdown of like, oh, like we're playing this scene and these are sort of the things and the elements that went into creating this particular part of the game. Yeah. If you're not doing sort of a director's commentary, if you're just playing the game, that it feels more like an extended demo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've I've also like gone on other people's streams and played along with them, which is which is more fun because then I can once again add like fun tidbits of like, oh yeah, we this scene is based off this interaction that I had as a child or something like that, you know. Oh neat. It sounds like there really is a lot of your own personal story invested in these games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I tried to do that, especially in the first one and and somewhat within the second one as well. And is there any sort of a like a cheat sheet or FAQ that will tell me these moments in the game, you can tie these back to Anna's story? <laughs> nope, I have not done that. <laughs> I was like, I mean, if you want, Ken, I will write you one uh, specifically for you. But I was like, no one. I was like, no one needs to know. <laughs> like, no, no one's going to go be that person and be like, I want to know everything that Edda has done that's related in this game. I don't think people have that much time <laughs> to do well, that. Well, if nobody's going to do it, then I'm certainly not. Okay. Besides, you're, you're busy enough. Fair, fair, fair. You, you don't need to be writing a, a personalized guide for Ken. <laughs> I appreciate the offer, oh, though. It's very generous of, of you. Of course, of course. <laughs> I mean, you have copious spare time with your multiple full-time jobs. <laughs> it's easy to see how your work on games like Arcade Spirits and how you're streaming on Stumped interact and how they overlap. Mm-hmm. But what about your work as a veterinary technician? Are there like, I know you mentioned that you like being able to pivot your passion from one place to the other mm-hmm. when you get bored or distracted, but are there skills or passions from veterinary technician that help you be a better game designer or streamer or even vice versa? Does being a streamer make you a better veterinary tech? I, I think it's about people interaction and people skills at the end of the day that sort of bond those two experiences together. I think a lot of people, veterinary medicine is is viewed as like, oh yeah, people get into veterinary medicine because they love animals and they love animals more than people. And a lot of that is true. 
But at the same time, like what people don't understand is like veterinary medicine is also a lot of education and talking to clients about their pets and being able to interact with those clients and being able to go over certain elements with clients and, and a and like I said, teaching them or explaining things to them so that they understand and being able to be in the veterinary field for f- over 15 years, you get really good at talking to people and you get really good at explaining people and sharing that passion of their pets and being like, oh yes, Fluffy is a great animal and we're going to take care of Fluffy and this is what we need to do to give Fluffy the best care. And that translates into streaming and into game development because you have to know how to talk to people. You have to know how to talk to people in, in multiple professions. But, you know, in streaming, like you're you have an audience. So you have to be one entertaining, two, two, like educational enough that like you can teach people about the game and just be able to hold a conversation. And then in game development, especially in narrative games, you have to know how people talk to each other and how they interact and how a whole plethora of people talk to each other. Because in veterinary medicine, like there are several different types of people and personalities that you will meet and how you have to adjust how you talk to those people. Like what you say to some person about their pet and trying to be like, this is why we recommend blood work might not go over for the next client that you see. So you might have to sort of judge how this conversation has gone ahead of time and be like, oh, so this is how I will present this information to this person based on the exchanges that we've already had about, you know, their pet. So those sort of instances in veterinary medicine have prepared me and helped me sort of been able to have real life conversations in game development and streaming and write about those and have those experiences and share that. But reading your audience isn't always something you can do when you're podcasting or streaming. That's very much a one-way medium. It is. Um, I think in streaming, it's lucky that you have a chat, right? So, and it's a community base. So in that time, it also takes a lot of time to get to that point where you're like, this is the community that I've created and that I've crafted so that I know that these people that are part of this community are going to enjoy sort of the medium and the content that I that I am sharing and that I'm producing. So do you prefer animals to people? No, I like them both. (laughs) I love it. Listen, I'm an extrovert, so I love talking to people and I love having friends, but I also love my animal companions and I want to be able to give every animal the best life and the best care that they can. I am also an extrovert and I imagine just like you, the pandemic has been very challenging. Oh, yeah. But to paraphrase one of my favorite tweets, I can tell you, I have said I love you to two women in my life and to every dog I've ever met. <laughs> that's, yep, that's that sounds about right. I love it. <laughs> so uh, we have talked about so much today. Was there anything else that we didn't cover that you're just bursting at the seams to tell our listeners? Uh, play more FMV games. <laughs> <laughs> They should. They should. It's a it's a lost art, I tell you. And, and in that same regard, like FMV games are great, but I always have to always talk about indie developers and especially marginalized developers. The the one thing that I wanted to tie visual novels in is a lot of 
And a lot of people still, there is still a huge stigma out there of visual novels. I feel like recently there was a game in media that was like, hey, hey, we're not visual novels. You know, we're not making a visual novel, even though it's clearly a visual novel um, with different like gameplay elements. And it's so sad that visual novels are sort of taken as these things that are either like, waifu romance game or if it's not considered that it's considered like the jokey kfc romance game like visual novels for a lot of the gaming world are still considered jokes and i think that's completely unfair because so many great stories can come from that and on the second aspect of of that whole thing is a lot of marginalized game developers and a lot of marginalized people are able to tell stories through visual novels because it's the most accessible uh, medium out there for telling those stories. So it's very important for uplifting, you know, very specifically marginalized game developers, whether it's POCs, whether it's, you know, queer people, anybody that is marginalized within gaming, those stories are going to come from visual novels. So if we're looking as uplifting gaming as a whole and uplifting uplifting marginalized voices within gaming uplifting vn and visual novel game developers is a huge way to do that and and to really pay attention to those stories and pay attention to those games and and play them and and support them and and visual novels are games damn it (laughs) Well, I absolutely agree. And I'm glad that our listeners will too, after hearing about what a wonderful portfolio you have and all the amazing things that you do. For those who do want to follow you and find your works online, where can they do that? Oh, wow. I can be found just about everywhere at Peachyena. And that is P-E-A-C-H-Y. And my name, A-E-N-N-E. Uh, and then my personal uh, Twitch channel is Sharky Anna because Twitch won't release my Peachy Anna name to me yet. But I don't do a lot of streaming on there. You can follow my streaming mostly at Stump Gamers on Twitch and on YouTube as well. And Stump is spelled S-T-U-M-P-T. It is. And what about Arcade Spirits? Where's that? Oh, yeah. You can go to ArcadeSpirits.com and you can have access to Arcade Spirits, Arcade Spirits, the new challengers, and uh, our prequel of Arcade Spirits. One more, I think it's one last quarter. Uh, So you can check all that stuff out. You can also get, uh, like we said earlier, if you're interested in playing Arcade Spirits, you can play that on Steam, itch.io, all the consoles. And if you're interested in Sexy Vampires, Check out First Bite uh, on Itch or Steam. And the prequel to Arcade Spirits, what's the ETA on that? Oh, I have no idea. (laughs) I'm not writing it, so you'll have to ask Stefan about that one. Oh, you're not going to be sharing a credit on this one? No, he's actually just writing it it as a novel for, for fans and to create some more lore for everybody. So he's sort of been working on that project in between other projects. So I don't know his ETA on that. Awesome. Well, I guess I'll just have to ask him. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. Well, Anna, thank you so much for your time. This has been delightful. Oh, thank you so much, Ken. This has been so great. And if you, like I said, if you ever want to talk FMVs, I'm here and I'm available. Or Star Trek. Or Star Trek. Yes, definitely Star Trek. This has been Polygamer, a GameBits production. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback at polygamer.net.
we could all use a little get our steps in, right? <laughs> nah. I played Ring Fit this morning. I'm fine. Oh, nice. Oh, Ring Fit is so much fun. I love that. Been playing it on and off for two years. I'm still not done. I'm, you know, I put a lot of work into it uh, before like gyms were opening up and I still haven't beat it yet either. Like, um, and like, listen, I got to beat that guy, the dragon guy. I got to show right. him my gains. Be like, listen, hot dragon man. I've got an <laughs> eight pack tube. Okay. <laughs> well, just this morning, I leveled up my character to level 200. Dang. I didn't even realize you could get that high of a level. Well, I thought I was doing well, so I tweeted it. I put the hashtag on it, and then I clicked to see what else people are tweeting about with Ring Fit Adventure, and there's somebody else at level 500. I'm like, great. Okay. I'm always <laughs> going to be that 90-pound weakling getting sand kicked in his face. <laughs> oh, no. I believe in you, Ken. I believe. <laughs> I'm glad somebody does. Thank you. <laughs> yes.